Hey, we're continuing in our series on preaching and prayer in a series that we've called Lord Teach Us to Pray and our hope and prayer has been that God would in this season over these weeks as we study his word and talk through preaching mature us as a church in our prayer lives. Okay, so over these weeks, hopefully you have sat down at some point to pray. Hopefully we're not just going to talk about praying for 15 weeks, but that we are praying. So you sit down to pray. What do you suppose God is doing on the other end? As you sit down to pray, you've carved out the space and the time to pray. You sit down, you find that quiet place, and you pour out your heart to God. What do you suppose God is doing on the other end? What do you picture God being like as you pray? Perhaps you think of him as sort of cosmic multitasking, right? So he is running the entire universe. All things are sustained by the power of his word. The the dust particles that you see are in the exact place and time and location of where they are by the sovereign will of God. And so he is ruling over nations and powers and kings and kingdoms and all things and at the same time hearing your prayers, right? And so not to mention that at any given moment also some two billion other Christians are pleading into the ear of God. And so perhaps he's got a corner of his ear reserved for you. Or perhaps you know that God is king and ruler over all and he's not hurried or harried or frazzled in any way. He is sovereignly ruling over the universe and he is waiting. Perhaps he is waiting to hear how you do. Maybe you think about prayer and you think of God sort of on the other end, waiting to see how you do and respond accordingly. Or perhaps more gently, he is walking with you and and listening to you as you pray. And as you say amen now, you throw the ball into his court and it's his turn to respond and engage your prayers. What do you suppose God is doing as you pray, when you pray? Now what if I told you that God is not waiting for your amen to get involved in your prayer life, but that rather he is helping you at every step along the way. That God himself has come alongside you and the triune God is aiding you in every step of your prayers. That he himself is not even waiting for your amen to get involved, but from before you begin to pray, God himself is at your side helping you to pray. That from the moment you feel a need for prayer, a sense for prayer, a desire for prayer, to the moment where words begin to formulate in your mind or on your tongue, to the moment from which those words travel the distance between you on earth to God's ear in heaven, that at every step along that way, God himself is helping you and with you, and supporting you, and helping you in prayer. That the triune God has not abandoned you in your desperate search to pray. He's not left you on your own to try and work out this perfect prayer. He's not waiting to hear your finished product and then respond, but that the triune God, each member of the Trinity, is himself involved with and making possible your prayers. That God is so wonderfully for you that each member of the Trinity takes a role in helping and making possible your prayers. That God the Holy Spirit 
comes alongside us and helps us in our weakness and aligns and conforms our hearts and works in our hearts and on our hearts to align our prayers to the will of God. That God the Son, Jesus, is then taking those prayers and purifying us and our prayers and presenting them to the Father and granting us access to the Father through Him. And that God the Father is then graciously receiving these prayers and welcoming you into his presence. And you and your petitions are brought before him and he gladly responds to bless you. What I want you to hear is, when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. When Christians pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. What an encouragement it would be for you today if you walked out of here knowing that God has not left you to go out and figure out prayer, but that every step along the way from birthing a desire in you for prayer to the moment when you say prayers to when they are returned to you and answered, God himself is sovereignly helping that he is not even waiting for your amen, but that each member of the Trinity is actively engaged in making prayer possible for you. So what I want to do is I want us to pray that God would help us to receive that encouragement so that you would walk out emboldened with that truth today. Let's pray. Our Father, we delight to know that right now we come to you in and by the power and help of the Holy Spirit through your Son on the basis of his work and merit, to your throne in heaven, that as we speak, we are welcomed guests into the very throne of God, before the throne of God where the Father sits. We thank you for this time together under your word, and we pray that even now the Holy Spirit would be given to us so that we might proclaim and hear your words faithfully and well. Holy Spirit, grant success to the going out of your word, that it would not return empty or void, but accomplish what you send it for, and that you would even now begin to work on our hearts and ears and eyes and minds that we would receive and hear and believe and understand your word, and we might live and today pray differently on account of it. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus and for his sake and glory. Amen. Okay, before we talk through prayer, let me give you a few minutes on just the Trinity as we're talking through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in regards to prayer. The Bible is crystal clear that there is one God who has eternally existed in three persons. For some of you, that's review. For some of you, that's brand new. The Bible says that there is one God and only one God, and the Bible goes out of its way to make sure everyone is convinced there is only one God. It's very exclusive. There is no other God but God. And God has eternally existed in three persons. He's eternally existed. So it's not that the Father one day created the Son or created the Spirit, but that all three members of the Godhead have eternally existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians speak of this truth or reality as referring to God as Trinity or triune or Trinitarian in nature. Now, you will not find a Bible verse that says the word Trinity, right? So hear that. That's not a biblical word. That's a theological word that Christians use to describe the reality of 
God being both three and one. The, the scriptures don't have a verse that says, and the Holy Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Instead, what the scriptures do is from beginning to end, reveal to us that God has eternally existed in one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say persons, I want you to hear, we're not saying that God is somehow a human being. That's not what we mean by the personhood of God or God being personal. What we're simply saying is that that means he's not some kind of impersonal force. This is not Star Wars. This is not some kind of force that is with you. But God, being a person, having personhood, thinks and feels and acts and speaks and relates and is grieved and rejoices, does all the things that persons do. The Bible speaks of God the Father as He, and God the Son as He, and Jesus talks about the Spirit as He will be given to you and will be a helper to you. And these three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are at the same time both one and God and distinct. So the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. All three members of the Trinity are distinct, with different roles, and yet one. God is one, and God is three, and God is three, and God is one. Okay, now I'm sure that makes perfect sense, and all your questions are answered. So now when your five-year-old comes and says, how can Jesus be on the earth while God was in heaven? You can again say, sweetheart, it's time to go to bed. Make sure you ask mom in the morning. She'll explain everything, right? We know that we are limited. We are finite. These things are too wonderful for us. There's a mystery with God. When Binu was preaching some months ago, he gave this great illustration, this example of, imagine you had the iPhone. And he said, the iPhone is this incredible gadget where you can use it for cellular phone and technology and email and calendars and apps and games. And say you were hired to bring and distribute the iPhone to some remote jungle to a people that are not yet part of the civilized world, still running around with no clothes, no written language, and your job is to go and introduce to them the iPhone. Imagine that task. You've now got to tell them this is cellular technology to a people who have never had electricity. You've got to tell them you can write emails to a people who have never sent a letter, to a people who have never written words. You can show them about how you can call out to one another at long distances to a people who have never seen a phone. You can make appointments on your calendar to people who tell the time of day by the sun, who have never seen a watch. When they get hungry, you can tell them there's an app called Yelp and it'll find the nearest restaurant. I mean, you get it. You get the impossibility of that task. Well, Binu has rightly said to us, that is the impossibility of the scriptures trying to communicate to us who God is and what he's like. There's a mystery to it. We are limited and the boundaries of our minds do not go far enough to engulf God. So when you come to that mystery, either you'll run away frustrated or you will rightly see that you are small, he is great, and you will worship. When I was young, I remember someone telling to me, listen, if God was small enough for you to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for you to worship. And I felt like that was right. That's a right truth. If God was so small that you could tease out everything about God, he would not be big enough for you to worship. And that is the right and fitting response. 
Now, thankfully, God has not left us groping in the dark about all things concerning God. While there is mystery, thankfully, God has generously revealed to us who He is. He knows what our minds can handle, and so He has revealed Himself. He has made Himself known. God wants to be known by you, and so He makes Himself known to you, and He shows you who God is and what God is like and what the Father and the Son and the Spirit is like and how they act in the world. We're given in the Scriptures a a view into how each member of the Trinity plays a part in the different works that God accomplishes. For example, in creation, we see the Trinity at work. In Genesis 1, in verse 1, the first page of the Bible, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so there is God, and there is God's Spirit. And then when you come to the New Testament, we find out Jesus was present as well and at work. In fact, Colossians 1, verse 16, just hear it. It says, For by Him, that's Jesus, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Or John 1 verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, that's Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so you begin to see that even in creation, the triune God is at work. The Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters, this sense of anticipation that something's about to happen. And God the Father speaks out, let there be light, and there is. And God the Son carries out that creative decree. He's the means, the agent by which God creates. And so the Father and the Son and the Spirit create. You see that in Jesus' incarnation. This word that simply means when Jesus, God the Son, was made flesh. He who was fully God also became fully man. When he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, we see the Trinity at work. Listen to what it says in in Luke 1 verse 35. Again, you can hear it. And the angel answered her, that's Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, that's the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So in the Incarnation, here's the Trinity at work. You have the Holy Spirit that is coming upon her. The power of the Most High, the Father, overshadowing her. And that together conceives within her womb Jesus, God's Son. You see it in Jesus' baptism. The Father and the Son and the Spirit. You're given this incredible view of the Trinity. Listen to what it says in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. Just hear it. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So there's the scene. The Father in heaven speaks boomingly into the earth and says, This is my beloved Son in with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and anoints Jesus and empowers Jesus and fills Jesus as He is coming up out of the waters, now ready to be God's Messiah and ready to do and accomplish the work of salvation. We could keep going. Here's the point. When it comes to prayer... 
It is not as if the Trinity is now standing back, passively waiting for you to do your part so he can step in and do his. But rather, even as the Father and the Son and the Spirit have played different roles in all these things, so the triune God himself helps us in prayer, aids us in prayer, comes to our assistance in prayer. It is the triune God and each member of the Trinity that makes prayer possible for us and helps us in prayer. Now hear this. Hopefully that sounds like good news to you. Because hopefully I don't have to remind you or convince you of how hard prayer is and how much we need all the help that we can get. We are so weak in prayer that we do need every member of the Trinity helping us in prayer. Just, just think through your own obstacles and hurdles that you have to overcome in order to enter into a praying life, in order to have meaningful prayer. The obstacles and hurdles are legion. There are many. Right off the bat, you struggle to even find time to pray because you are convinced you are too busy. And so a hundred preoccupations and distractions and sins keep you away from prayer. And then if you can overcome that and manage to even find time and space to pray, now you struggle to even know what to say. What do you pray? What are you to pray for? How ought you to pray? And then if you can even manage to overcome that and begin to form words on your tongues, you still struggle with a legion of obstacles in your own hearts. One Puritan said it like this, that when we come to pray, our problems are roving imaginations, inordinate affections, dullness of spirit, weakness of faith, coldness in feeling, faintness in asking, weariness in waiting, too much passion on our own matters, too little compassion in other men's miseries, and on and on the list goes. You come to prayer and you find yourself apathetic and doubtful and untrusting. You watch the clock to see how much longer. Your heart is not moved by the miseries of other men. You check off a box and maybe throw up a prayer that you hardly mean. The struggles with prayer are many. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to prayer... We need help. And thankfully, that is exactly what God offers. Because God the Holy Spirit comes and helps us in our weakness for prayer. In the passage Kurt read for you from Romans 8, hear again what he read in verse 26. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hear that again. Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us. That phrase means that He renders His assistance to us. He comes to our aid. He carries the weight for us and comes alongside us and helps. Helps us in what? Paul tells us the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness? Paul tells us. He says, for we do not know what we are to pray for as we ought. Hopefully that's encouraging to you. 
When you sit down to pray and you don't know what to pray for as you ought, that struggle is not unique to you. But rather, Paul himself, church planter extraordinaire, writer of half the New Testament, is saying, I sit down to pray and I don't know what to pray for as I ought. But thankfully, when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, because we're limited and because we're sinful and because we don't know the mind of God or the will of God or we don't know what should happen in all circumstances, thankfully, in that difficulty, the Holy Spirit helps us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But rather than being paralyzed, by the possibility that you might pray the wrong prayer, you ought to be encouraged that even then the Holy Spirit is there. God is not standing back waiting to hear your finished product. The Holy Spirit himself has come alongside you to help you in your weakness in prayer. Paul goes on to say, because the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, that's the Father, who searches hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit produces these inexpressible, deep longings and groanings in our hearts, this deep desire for God's will, even though we don't know the exact circumstance or the right outcome, this desire for God's will. And the Spirit is working in our hearts and on our hearts, aligning our hearts to the will of God, conforming our hearts to the will of God. We don't know God's will, but the Spirit perfectly knows God's will, and He comes alongside us and intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. The Spirit helps us when we pray. Not that every prayer that we pray will be perfect, but the Spirit who is perfect and knows God's perfect will comes alongside and helps us and forms and, and fuels this desire in our hearts for God's will to be done in our lives and in the world. So when you get ready to pray, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit is helping you. In fact, I want you to hear, you would not even have a prompting to pray a desire for prayer, a longing for prayer, a need for prayer, apart from the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Never ignore a desire for prayer because that couldn't come from you. You are far too dead towards God, far too sinful. So if you ever feel an urging, a prompting to pray, immediately follow that prompting. It is from the Holy Spirit. Pray wherever you are, knowing that the Spirit is at work moving your heart towards prayer. Jesus told us that when the Spirit comes, He will convict us of sin and show us righteousness and that what the Spirit does is point us to Jesus. The Spirit humbly does not even point to Himself. His primary work is to point people to Jesus. And so that's what the Spirit does. If you, who by nature are heart of heart, are brought to an awareness of your need for God, you can be sure that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are shown your own sense of need, your own poverty, your own sinfulness, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know that this is a supernatural work because He then drives you from your own need and your sense of sin to Jesus, the one whom you have sinned against. It takes a supernatural work to do that. Hear that again. Not only does he reveal to you your sin against Jesus, against God, but then drives you to God. Only the Spirit can do that. I'll give you an example. If you have done nothing wrong and you see a cop car, you're not phased by it. 
In fact, that might be a comforting thought to you. If you've blown a red light, if you're driving 65 in a 35, now you see a cop car, panic, right? In fact, it takes everything in you not to slam on the gas as hard as you can. The only reason you don't is because you know he'll catch you. But what direction do you want to be? As far away as possible, hoping he doesn't see you. How do sinners who have sinned against God not flee from God, which is our natural instinct? That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They messed up. Their immediate impulse was to run, to hide, to cover themselves. And yet you know it's the Spirit working in you because when the Spirit shows you sin, He drives you to Jesus. It would take a supernatural work for you to U-turn the car and head straight towards the police officer. And that's what the, the Spirit does. He shows you your need. And then when you are tempted to flee, He drives you to Christ because He is at work overcoming our weakness in prayer. And then he points us to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit's work in your life is to make much of Jesus. And that's what he wants to do in your life and in your prayers. And he's working on your heart and conforming your heart to make much of Jesus. That your life and your prayers would be directed to make much of Christ. Listen, we cannot pray without the help of the Holy Spirit. Without praying in the Spirit, as Ephesians says. To pray without the Spirit, the Puritans used to say, to pray without the Spirit is like the lowing of oxen or the grunting of hogs. Right? What separates your words from the babble of beasts is the Holy Spirit. Another Puritan say, to pray without the Spirit is like a mute man trying to make a roar. You are powerless for prayer without the help of the Holy Spirit. But thankfully... To the great glory of God, He has not abandoned us in prayer to try and figure it out and present to Him our finished product, say amen and hope that He now begins to engage. But from before the beginning of your prayers, God is at your side to help. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So again, I want to say, when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So now then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit already working on your hearts, helping you to pray, now, in the, in the distance between your words and thoughts to God's ear in heaven, Jesus enters. And He too offers His aid. And He too helps us in prayer. And He too comes to make prayer possible. Jesus helps us in two ways. He helps us as our mediator, and helps us as our intercessor. Let me quickly tell you what that means. Jesus helps us in our prayer as our mediator and as our intercessor. As our mediator, 1 Timothy says, there is now one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So if you want to get to God the Father, you don't need a priest, you don't need a pastor, you don't need religion. What you need is Jesus. Now thankfully God uses all these things. But who you access the Father through is Jesus. He's the mediator. He mediates between you and God. And so the only access you have to the throne of God is through Jesus. Hear that again. Left to yourself, 
your prayers that fly into the sky towards God, left to yourself without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the mediating work of Jesus the Son, your prayers would rise to God's ears as a noisy and awful sound. Your prayers would rise to his nostrils like a stench that he cannot bear or tolerate. And so what Jesus the Son does is he takes you and your prayers and your petitions and dips you and dyes you in his own blood and presents them to the Father so that they are a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God and pleasant noise in his ears. Only the Son is welcome eternally at the Father's presence. The Son has invitation before the Father. And what Jesus graciously does is adds plus one to that invitation and brings you along with Him and ushers you and your petitions to the Father. You cannot go to the Father alone. And so Jesus graciously brings you with Himself. There is no other way. Jesus said, no one goes to the Father except through me. This is the work of Christ in our lives and in our prayer lives, bearing them before the Father, presenting us before the Father. This week I was walking up to my apartment and Hannah and Micah had both fallen asleep and I'm carrying them in both arms and I'm walking up the steps to my apartment and immediately the Holy Spirit, and again, remember what I said, I'd have no thought for God apart from the promptings and work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit reminded me that what I was doing is what like Jesus was doing. If you remember back in Exodus, we studied through the high priest and we said that when the high priest in the Old Covenant went into the presence of God, his clothes had these ceremonial stones on which were written the names of Israel on his shoulders, the tribes of Israel on his chest. And as it was, he was bearing the people of God and bringing them close to his heart into the presence of God. And we said that that was just a picture of what Jesus does. So I'm walking up the steps with these two kids, remembering this is what you do, Christ. You bear us up on your own shoulders and hold us close to your heart and bring us before the Father. I was begging God, do this for my kids. You bear them on your own shoulders and bring them close to your heart and bring them before God. And that's what God does for all his children. Jesus Christ carries you and your petitions and your prayers purified by his own blood, acceptable into the presence of God. Listen to me. When you say, in Jesus' name we pray, that is not you signing off. That is not you saying, okay God, I'm done. That's not your Christianese way of saying goodbye. We say in Jesus' name we pray because what we're confessing is, okay, Father, all these words now come to you because we come to you in the name of your Son. It's through Him that we have access. It's in His name that we pray these things. These words would be babble that you have no obligation to hear, but we pray them in Jesus' name on the basis of His work and on His merit and His mediating for us. We enter your presence Hear these prayers in Jesus' name. Jesus helps us by being our mediator, and then also he helps us by being our intercessor. Hear this. Not only does Jesus Christ bring you and your petitions before the Father, but he makes petitions to the Father on your behalf. 
I first came to this truth while studying through Exodus, as we did together. And there we saw that one of the things the high priest does and what Jesus did is that he intercedes for us. He prays for us. What an encouragement it ought to be to your hearts to know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he looks left to his dad and he speaks to dad about you. He is bringing petitions, praying to the Father for you. When Jesus was on earth, we were given a glimpse into some of these prayers. In John 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. What does he pray? He prays that the Father would keep them. He prays that the Father would protect them from Satan and from temptation. He prays that they would be kept till the end. He prays for unity among them. He prays that they would persevere and see Jesus and see his glory. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. He says to the Father, I'm not just praying for these 12. In verse 21 of John 17, he says, I pray for all those who will believe on account of their word. That means while Jesus was in the garden, the night before he died, he prayed for you. The night before he dies, he prayed for you. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan's coming after you. And this is the hour of his death when he's about to be betrayed and denied by Peter. And he says, but I have prayed for you that after you might not fall, but you might restore your brothers. And so Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you that you wouldn't fall away. And here's the glorious news. It's not that the prayer life of Jesus ended when he died, rose again, and went to heaven. But now sitting at the right hand of God, he intercedes for you. Hear these verses. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Or just a few verses down in Romans 8, the passage we were looking at. It says, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who rose, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can condemn us? How can we fall away? How can we fall apart? How can we leave God when Jesus is praying for us? When Jesus is looking to his Father and saying, Father, hold a jay. Don't let him fall. Don't let him fall away. Persevere him. Sanctify him. Let him be more holy. This, this saint named Augustine, one of the early church fathers, used to say that he believed that he could never perish because of the fervent, tearful prayers of his mother. So he would see his mother Monica praying for him and he would think to himself, I have great confidence I'll never fall away just because of the fervent, tearful prayers that she prays. And I've said this before, imagine your greatest Christian hero and what confidence it would bring your heart if you knew that person was at their bed every day praying for you. Now imagine how much more comforted and what a great consolation and solace it should be to your soul to know that even now Christ is praying for you and he always lives to make intercession and he never ceases to uphold you in prayer to bring you and your petitions to the Father and to petition the Father on your behalf God is not standing back 
waiting to hear your amen and see your finished product and then step in all along, all the while. The triune God himself is overcoming our weakness in prayer. The Father has sent the Spirit who is overcoming and helping us in our weakness. For we know not how we ought to pray and what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes. And the Son is perfecting and purifying us in our petitions and presenting them to the Father and presenting us to the Father as our intercessor. When we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so now here our prayers are, they've been helped along by the Spirit, purified and presented by the Son, and they come to the throne of God the Father. The last time we preached, I preached on the fatherhood of God and what it means to pray to God as to a good dad. So I won't go through that again. If you haven't, I encourage you to hear it and be encouraged of what it means to have God as Father and to speak to Him as Father. But here it is. In some ways, what's happened through this whole thing is we're like humble peasants that are trying to bring our petitions before a great king. The great king of the kingdom. And we're this humble peasant in one corner of his kingdom trying to present our petitions to the king. How will we get to the king? How will the king hear our humble petitions? But imagine then that the Spirit is like a messenger of the King sent to us who helps us to write out our petition, knowing what the King's will is and what the King desires. And so the Spirit is this friend who comes alongside and helps us write this petition. And then the Prince, the King's own son, comes and sees us with our petition and grants us access into the throne room where the Father, the King, is. And now you stand with this petition helped, created by the king's messenger, the spirit, and in the access granted through the king's son, the prince, and you present your petitions before this great king. Now, lest you think wrongly of the father, lest you think that you should come to this great king groveling, cowardly, with no expectations, expecting only fearful judgment, you come to find out that this great king, in love for you, is the one who sent the Spirit to help you write a petition in accordance with his will, and sent the prince to gladly grant you access, and you find not a frown, but a smile on his face, because you have come at last is exactly in the way that he has prescribed. He sent the Spirit to help you. In great love for you, sent the Son to draw you close to himself. And it is the glad joy of his heart to hear your prayers and to respond according to his will for your good and your blessing. God does not leave us alone in prayer but helps us every step along the way, the Father and the Son and the Spirit aiding us in prayer, making possible prayer. When we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Seven Mile Road, we can trust this triune God to be good to us in prayer because this triune God was good to us in salvation. I want you to hear that. The reason you can trust this triune God to be involved in every step along the way in your prayer life is because this triune God was involved in every step along the way 
in your salvation, to save your soul. I want to show you one last thing that the Trinity did. Just here, Ephesians 1 in a few verses, 3, 4, and 13. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, there's the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Here's what the Father did, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Verse 13. In Him also you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here's what this text is saying. That the Father and the Son and the Spirit each played a role in your salvation. That the Father in love for you, elected you and predestined you from before the foundation of the world. That if you believe in Jesus, before he had hung the stars in the sky, you were on his mind. He had thought of you and thought of eternity with you before he put the sun and the moon in its place. Before he invented time, the Father knew you. You think of that love. The kind of love that's going to invent time and then walk through time till the point that he has you to himself. From before all that, the Father had known you and loved you. And in love for you, had put together a plan to redeem you and bring you to himself. And in love, the second member of the Trinity, the Son, willingly, gladly was sent by the Father to enact and fulfill this plan. And the Son, in love for you, comes to accomplish the Father's plan to redeem you. And the Son is born of a woman, leaves His Father in heaven, comes to the earth, and becomes like the creation to redeem you and to make sure the Father's plan for you is fulfilled. And the Son lives the life the Father had required and you didn't, and then gladly bears your sin and dies on a cross and rises again so that the Father's desire to have you might be accomplished. And in great love for you, the Son dies. And then we would be powerless still if the Father and the Son together did not send then the Holy Spirit to apply the work of the Son and fulfill the plan of the Father in our lives. To take your heart that was dead and begin to have it beat with faith and love for Christ. To take you who had blind eyes and the Spirit opened it. To, to take you who had deaf ears and the Spirit gave you hearing. A hard heart and the Spirit made it soft. And the Spirit animated you with spiritual life and regenerated you and gave you love for the Father. Showed you of your sin. Showed you Jesus Christ. So that everything the Father had been planned would be fulfilled in your life. This is the triune God. And my hope today is that your heart would grow in affection, not just for God, but for each member of the triune God. Listen, if you're here and you've heard my voice, and I'm grateful for the patience by which you've heard it. If you're here and you're not sure if you're a Christian, listen to me for a second. Maybe you come week in and week out 
And maybe you even say you're a Christian, but deep in your soul, you're not sure. You don't have to walk out of this door unsure anymore. In fact, I would suggest to you that today you might pray your first real prayer. I would say to you, pray and say, Father, would you give me the Holy Spirit? And I want you to hear, Luke tells us, Luke 11 and Matthew 7 tells us, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, Luke 11 says, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you can ask, Father, would you, if you're real, would you give me the Holy Spirit and help this dead heart of mine to come alive and let me see Jesus and let me love Jesus and let me hate my sin and let me love Jesus more than I've loved anything else and follow him. And would you help me to trust in the work of Jesus, your son, who died on the cross and bore all my sins and forgave me and rose again and set me free from death and hell and Satan and sin and all of it. And would you then, Father, accept me by the help of your Spirit through the Son to come to you that I might today become a child of God, never again to be unmade a child? I would suggest to you that would be your first real prayer today. And if you are a Christian, would you rejoice in God? And not just in God, but in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Would you rejoice in the Father who who chose you, and in the Son who died to atone for you, and the Spirit who made you alive to that work? Would you rejoice in the Spirit who helps us in our weakness with prayer, with the Son who presents us and our petitions to the Father and intercedes for us, and to the Father who gladly welcomes us as His children? When we pray, we pray to the Father through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we call you such because of the work of the Son and because of the help of the Holy Spirit. We would be like orphans, but Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit has come and witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. We would not even know it apart from the work of the Spirit. Galatians tells us that the Spirit made our spirit cry out, Abba, Father. We call you Father because of the work of our elder brother, Jesus, who is like a brother to us, sent into the world to atone for us and redeem us and make us the children of God. And so we say to you, Father... We thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. We worship you. We worship you, God. We worship you, Spirit and Son and Father. We worship you for what you have done for us, from your work in creation to your work in the incarnation of Jesus, to the baptism of Jesus, to our salvation to even now in the way that you relate to the church, we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would be given generously to all. John 4, you tell us, the Father will give the Spirit without limit to those who ask. Fill us all with the Holy Spirit. What prayer could be a higher and better prayer than for us to ask more of God? What could we desire that would be greater than God himself? And so we ask you for the Holy Spirit to come upon all of us, that none would leave here separated anymore from God the Father and God the Son, 
but be brought near by God the Holy Spirit and given a love for God the Son and a relationship with God the Father. And for all who have come to know you, would you give us a fresh and new love and gratitude for the triune God? We give you thanks. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.